Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Hey guys, special note for this particular podcast episode. This is part two of Stephen Snook's story. So if you haven't heard part one, you absolutely need to listen to that. So go to the prior podcast episode that I launched, just the last one, the most previous one that I launched. It was so awesome and he had so much wonderful information to share. It ended up being over an hour. I could not, I didn't want, and I was unwilling to cut it down to something around half an hour. So I decided instead to divide it up into two parts. So the most previous episode was the first part. This is part two. So enjoy part two if you've already listened to part one. If you're just tuning in to this episode and you haven't heard part one, I would strongly suggest you go back and listen to that one. And then now enjoy part two, the conclusion of Stephen's amazing story. Well, brother, I guarantee you're not. I said God's going to put this whole crew back together that trafficked all them drugs into the Midwest, and he's going to put us all back together for him. And I see it right now. I said, I see it right now. And I believe he saw it too, because he couldn't believe it. I mean, when does something like that happen? I don't know. Maybe once in your life where your phone just calls somebody. So, uh, <laughs> And he was across the room, so he can't say butt dialing or anything like that. <laughs> no, it scared him. It definitely scared him. <laughs> you know, I want to take a moment here for just a second. And as I'm listening to you describe this, a couple of things are coming to my mind. One is that sometimes people that haven't experienced the Holy Spirit, hearing these stories, sometimes they start wondering about, you know, are, how do you know you're not having a hallucination? Are you developing some kind of delusion? And my, my response to that is, you know, wait and see how things play out because uh, somebody's hallucination or their delusion, that's in their own mind. That's not going to be corroborated by external events that other people can corroborate. Okay. Yes. So that's something, if there happens to be listeners out there who, who aren't, you know, maybe they're not Christian, you know, and that they just don't really know about all this kind of talk and they're kind of going, eh, that sounds a little sketchy. That's the thing. Look, look at the reality. Look at as time passes, what happens? It's either going to come to fruition or it's not because there are some people out there, like for example, schizophrenics are, or people that struggle with schizophrenia, certain types of it have sometimes religious overtones in their hallucinations mm -hmm. and in their delusions. And you'll hear them talking about stuff, but when it's a hallucination, when it, whether it's auditory visual hallucination, when it's a delusion, like I said, that's all in their own mind. You're not going to see what they're saying corroborated out in the real world through other people. It's not going to happen because it's their own hallucination. And I did want to kind of toss in that as I'm listening to you talk, it's reminding me, I'm a very visual person, and it's not uncommon that I'm in therapy with someone, and and I don't I don't say this to a lot of people. I just I'm not a I'm a transparent person, but I'm also kind of a private person. Sure. And basically, I will I will see images in my mind that explains to me what's going on with my patient, mm -hmm. what's wrong with them. And I will see it. I will see it in my head like like a visual image. And then I will begin to explain to them what I'm seeing. 
And more often than not, it just, if, if things open and they're like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, so that's what I'm hearing you explaining. And I just wanted to kind of give my own experience with that to kind of come alongside and say, this is absolutely an experience that those of us who are Christians and have the Holy Spirit within us, which that is one and the same, you have that. You do have those experiences. And we may not talk about it a whole lot because when you talk about it out loud, and I have more stories like that, as I'm sure you do as well, you sound a little kind of cuckoo, but it's real. And if it plays out and it involves other people and they can corroborate it as well, it's not a hallucination. It's not a delusion. You know, you're absolutely correct. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that support. I, I want to say two things really that are so important to your audience. And I, I apologize if this is like a super long interview, but I think this is very important. Okay. One of the things that I did do during the course of that t- almost 20 years of federal prison is I, I have an inquisitive mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I would get in there and 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 give my testimony and talk to people that were from all different faith backgrounds. When you're in the federal system, you're with men from all over the world that were committing crimes that affected the United States. Mm-hmm. So I was with many men that were from Haiti that were practitioners of voodoo. I had a roommate that was involved in the Santeria who was a Santeria priest on the street. All of this is demonic worship. And for the American listener, they need to understand something. The one person that you never have to convince about the existence of God is somebody that's involved in that because they've been raised in that and they've seen stuff. You know what I mean? They've seen things that they know that that element and that supernatural realm is real. Mm -hmm. So to talk to them and try to explain to them about God, they're like, man, you're just wasting your breath. You don't have to tell me, Mm -hmm. but it's different. And, And the reason my ministry was so effective, like when I was in solitary confinement, just preaching the word out, if I could present to these guys that Jesus was alive, that he's the resurrected Christ. The gospel that they had been presented was about the Bible and a a, a religion, essentially. And we just couldn't work for bad guys. You know what I mean? They have to have something that's authentic. When I could present to them that Jesus was alive at the right hand of the Father and that he sent the Holy Spirit back down, and it's your heritage to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit and that it'll line up with the Bible, you know what they would say to me? They'd say, how do I get that? And I'd say, brother, I will show you how. (laughs) <laughs> because it, Jesus promised it. He said, if you're if you're a bad, evil person and your son asks you for an egg, you're not going to give him a snake. So how much more is your father going to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask you? Mm-hmm. So let me just tell you what happened in 2004, because this was the greatest event of my life, greater than even my children being born. I had been saved for about a year or so. I came across some information in the Bible, that very scripture that I just told you from Luke. I went straight to my Christian friend's cell and I said, you know, did you know this was in the Bible? And he grew up in church. He said, well, yeah, I knew that was in there. I said, well, this is mine. I said, Jesus says right here that this has to belong to me. Now, I grew up unchurched. I had no idea what I was doing. I took communion before every meal because I thought that's what the Bible said. I thought the Lord said, as often as you remember me, do this. I'd break bread, thank the, you know, the blood of the cup every meal, you know, till finally somebody's like, hey, you know, you really don't have to do that. You know, I think they do that like once a month. I was just like, okay, you know, whatever. But so I pray. And I tell the Lord, listen, your word says that the Holy Spirit is for me. So I'm asking you, Lord, for this because I believe and you know I'm saved. I mean, I had been saved for about a year and I was on fire for Jesus. I was reading the Bible and concordances praying. The next day I was walking out in front of that man's cell, waiting on him to get ready so we can go to chow. And that little still small voice that spoke to me a year and a half before said, open your mouth and let it go. That's all he said. 
He didn't say, now you have received the Holy Spirit. He didn't. It wasn't like that. Okay. God's not like that for the audience. He just doesn't work like that. Okay. He's going to talk to you in a way that you can kind of understand. He says, just open your mouth and let it go. Open your mouth and let it go. I'm out here by myself walking in the stave room waiting on my buddy. I just opened my mouth. And when I opened my mouth, a rumbling started in my stomach and came up out of my chest and started coming out of my mouth. And I was speaking in tongues and I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew it was the greatest thing I'd ever. I mean, I'm talking about I took off and went to my cell, hit my knees and just let it flow. And it just came out of my mouth faster than I could even make the syllables for about five minutes. And when I got done, the first things I said in English was I pointed to the top of that cell and I said, Jesus, I knew you was there because I did know it because I was born again. But after that, oh, Lord, I was on fire, fire. So you so here's the reality of the supernatural for for your audience in case they think, man, this guy's kind of tripping. Check this out. About a year later. I was laying in the bed reading the Bible, and that's when I got in a fight with the guy. I told you about that. So I go to solitary confinement. They got me cuffed up, okay? They put me in a cell, and it's empty, and I go to turn around to get the cuffs off at the little chuck hole, and the officer says, no, step to the back. You're you're getting a roommate. I said, okay. I step to the back. They put a guy in a cell with me. He's got two bones sticking out of both sides of his face and one through his nose. He looks like something just crawled out of out of a penitentiary, basically. I mean, he looks he looks insane. He backs up to the bars as I'm standing in the back of the cell, and he gets the cuffs off first. I've still got the cuffs on behind my back. He reaches into his waistband, and he pulls out a knife about anywhere between 10 and 12 inches long. The officer's standing behind the door. He can't see anything. There's only a little glass right there. I'm cuffed up like this. I'm looking at him right in the eye. He's looking at me. I don't know this man. I've never seen him before in my life, and he's never seen me. Big, this is a huge prison, 1,600 guys in this prison. He pulled that knife out, and as he's walking by me, and I'm you know, sliding by him to go get the cuffs off, he takes that knife and he puts it up under the top mattress. I get the cuffs off. The officer shuts the chuckle and walks off. And I'm, standing, I'm standing there looking at him. He's still standing there by that knife. And he looked at me and he said, he looked like The Undertaker. If anybody's ever watched wrestling, this big, terrible-looking thing with just the tattoos and all this stuff in the face. And he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am a Christian. I said, but why would you say that? Because I'm in solitary confinement right now for fighting. So I said, I got to be tough here. Mm-hmm. We're in prison. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is not, yes, brother, I'm a Christian and Jesus loves you. No, 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 no. This is, yeah, I am a Christian. But how would you know that I'm in the hole for fighting? He said, well, I'm going to tell you why. He said, because I'm a, I'm a satanic worshiper. I practice witchcraft. He said, and when they put me in this cell with you, I can feel vibrations in my body from the spirit that's in you. <laughs> he said, don't ever touch me. He said, do not ever touch me. I said, well, I'm, I said, I'm not going to touch you. He said, no, I mean it, man. He said, please don't ever touch me. And I said, I promise you, brother. I said, I can't see a scenario where I would touch you. And he ended up getting his religious books because in federal prison, you're allowed to have your religious books, even when you're in solitary confinement. He had every satanic Bible, books on demonology, books on witchcraft. This is what he really was. This is what he practiced in his life. Mm -hmm. And I had a holy Bible and I made a deal with him. And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, man. I said, we'll read a chapter out of your book every night or chapter or two. We'll read a chapter out of my book every night. And he said, you're not scared to do that? Nope. I said, why would I be scared to do that, brother? I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, man. The one that I serve is the king of the realm that you're involved in. 
<laughs> so we started doing this. Within two weeks, he said, you know what? We don't even got to read my books anymore. Just keep reading out of that book. By that time, we was probably about in the book of Colossians or Philippians. We'd already been through the gospel. I said, all right. So we just stayed on and continued on and pounded that New Testament every day, every day until the day they released me out of that uh, solitary confinement with him. So for for people that are non-believers to hear something like that, they say, well, that's just I mean, that's just a little bit much. No, it's not. That is what the Christian walk is actually supposed to be. It's supposed to be a communion with God on such a level that you can hear from him, not in an audible voice, but he just gives it to you in that still small voice or that little impression. You know, go talk to this person Mm -hmm. or I'm putting this person in your path for a reason. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But for Mm -hmm. people that aren't saved, it is a little difficult to understand. Or maybe for people that are saved, but are like very religious. They're like, well, how is this possible? It's about paying the price. When I hear from the Lord, it's almost always because I've stilled myself. I'm in some sort of a fast and and I've allowed myself to quiet down. I've quieted down my brain. I've quieted down my spirit. And that's when I can hear from him really, really good. And he may say, go speak to that guy. So, I mean, I've got a thousand stories like that. That's why I wrote the book. You know, that's why that's why I wrote all these things down, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll take a moment here and say, I know what you're talking about, about that voice and how I've learned over the years to try to discern, is this just my own thoughts? Is just some kind of wacky idea of my own or is this the Lord? I'll ignore it at first, especially if it's something I don't want to do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that because if he wants me to go, like there's a story, I'm not going to get into the whole thing right now. I don't want to take your time to do that. But there was a story I told on one of my earlier podcasts about him, him telling me to call my dad. And I'm not a chit chatter. If I call you on the phone, there's something I'm, I'm wanting to know, or there's something I want to tell you. I'm just not like, Hey, I don't do that. Okay. And so that, that voice saying to call your dad, I was just like, that's dumb. I don't, I, I didn't have anything to say to my dad. I have no reason to call my dad. So I kept trying to ignore it. Yeah. And it got so loud in my head and pressed so hard that I, I was either going to have to do it or I was just going to go crazy. So I ended up, well, to tell the story I did, I I ended up, it was kind of funny because I jerked the phone up. I was mad at that point. I was like, fine, I'm calling my dad. And I was like, I was like pounding the numbers on the phone like this. I was so angry because I'm like, what am I supposed to say to him? He's going to pick up the phone and I'm going to (laughs) say, I don't. And so I walked down the hall. I was so embarrassed because I thought, I'm calling someone. They're going to pick up the phone. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, hey. And he's going to say, why'd you call me? And I'm going to go, I don't know. And so I thought I was going to, I was really angry at this voice. But I went into a back room and I remember nothing of the entire conversation. The next thing I remember, I'm walking back down the hallway. I don't remember talking to him. I don't remember hanging up. I find out later because he had been fired from his job because of some political stuff that was going on. He wasn't a good political player. Okay. He was very loyal. He didn't play politics. And because of that, he got fired and he was really struggling. He was a Christian man and he was sitting at the kitchen table. And I was told later that he was getting ready to turn his back on God. Mm. So I didn't call him. God called him. What I'm saying, why I told you that story is that when I got that voice in the very beginning, I I ignored it because I didn't know what that meant. Call my dad. I didn't want to. I thought it was stupid and I didn't want to do 
that. But I'm when you're a Christian and you know you hear those voices, that's for me personally, that's something that's been helpful is just to kind of wait it out. Because if it is truly one of my stupid thoughts that I have once in a while, some kind of stupid idea, it'll yep. fade. But if it's yep. God, he will not shut up. It get, yep. He increases that pressure until you kind of, you just have to do it. Or really something really, I mean, feel like you're going to, your head's going to blow off. <laughs> you yep. just got to do it. <laughs> you are exactly right. I, I know. I, I'm telling you, I agree. I, I'm alongside you on that. I, without you know, a, a year less than a year before I got released, the Lord showed me in a dream the biggest, baddest guy in my unit. This guy is just a giant from St. Louis, a blood gang member, black dude that had been punching guys. He carried a knife on him. I got a year left on a 22 year sentence. I just stay away from people like that. The Lord showed him to me in a dream and said, I want you to go tell him. Man, I'm not telling that dude. I'm not even talking to that dude. Are you crazy? I'm not. You know what I mean? Because this man might go crazy. You know what I mean? I'll lose some good time. I had to fight this guy or somebody could get hurt. You know, I can't. Man, the Lord wouldn't leave me alone about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how this could happen. I called him alone. I said, hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? And he said, yeah. And uh, I said, "Uh, I don't know if you know this about me or not, man. I said, but I'm a Christian. I said, I'm a real one, bro. And he said, no, I didn't know that about you. I said, well, I am. I said, and, and I believe the Lord gave me a dream about you. I'm going to share it with you if that's all right. He said, all right. So I told him what it was. I said, it was a, it was a young black kid, probably between the ages of eight and 10. He didn't have a shirt on. And he turned around and looked at me and he had, you know, big buck teeth. And he just looked at me and he was just kind of staring at me. And then I gave, you know, some more descriptions of, of exactly what it was. And and exactly the environment, the scenario. And the guy looked at me and turned around and he walked away. So I said, Well, Lord, thank you for that. That went really that went really good. You know what I mean? I'm preparing my release papers. I'm trying to get out of jail. You know what I mean? I don't know what's going on. Man, the Lord was on me about it. On me. I caught that guy a week later. Same exact spot where I caught him before. This guy had a tattoo on his arm said Antichrist from his elbow to his wrist. This is a nut we're talking about. I said, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? He's like, yeah, what's, what's up? I said, uh, I said, brother, I just need to know, did I miss God right there? When I told you about that dream, you never said anything to me about it again. I said, did I miss God? There's, I mean, there's a hundred men out here, but they can't hear us talking. But we're out in the common area. We're not hiding in a cell. Mm-hmm. Man, this guy turned at me and looked at me and tears were rolling out of his eyes and he was crying and he said, that was me. I said, okay. He said, that was me. And that was when I got locked up. He said, Rooster, I was nine years old and that's exactly how I looked when they locked me up. I got caught playing with a pistol at nine years old. They sent me to juvenile hall, sent me to prison, juvenile prison for that. And man, he was crying. You know, before I left that prison, I was giving that man some of the deepest spiritual books I had to take into his cell and read them. I was giving that man books by John G. Lake, Adventures in God. That's how <laughs> that's how the Lord works. You know what I mean? But I didn't want to do it. And I didn't have to do it. Honestly, you no. know, God's not going to make you do it. No. But I'm glad that I did because I don't know what that's going to do. I didn't see him get saved. I didn't see him get born again. But that doesn't mean he didn't get born again a year later. That's awesome. That is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I've learned over the years that 
listening to that voice, the more you listen, the more you do. Now, you know, you discern whether it's your own kind of wacky thought or if it's coming from the Lord and everybody has their own way of discerning that. I, I explained how I do it. Yeah. And I've learned that the more you, the more I, I don't to speak for myself, the more I do what I feel led to do, even if I don't understand it, then the more messages he gives me. And the flip side is also true, is that if we shut down, then the messages decrease. Mm, yeah. It's just like if you don't listen, if you don't heed that voice, if you don't do what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do, then you can shut that. It's like shutting that pipeline, you know, down. And because like you said, we have choice. And I think, and I want to pay, and I know this is going longer. I'll probably divide this into two separate, <laughs> two separate yeah. because I'm not, you know, I said, I'll stop it when I want to stop it. But I think sometimes people get too focused on the religion Mm-hmm. And they miss God. They miss Jesus. They miss the whole connection with the Holy Spirit because they're so focused on some kind of religious doctrine. And not that religious doctrine is bad. I'm not I'm not trying to say that. And right. it, it definitely serves its purpose because sometimes people have to know, well, what exactly do we believe? And let's let's spell it out what we do believe and what we don't believe. And that's what doctrine is. But sometimes, and I use the word balance a lot when I'm talking to my psychotherapy patients, we need to have balance. It's not that anything is good or bad necessarily, but you need to be balanced. So I think sometimes people get out of balance and they get so focused on the religion that they miss Jesus. They miss him. They miss the Holy Spirit. And so it kind of reminds me in a way that there's times, not 100% by any means, but there's times I feel like that religion can be sort of like the Pharisees and how Jesus accused them of being whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Mm -hmm. And at the time when, when Jesus was alive, the Pharisees were looked at like very awesome. You know, they were the, they were the hot snot in, you know, church and they were the ones that you're supposed to do what they do and, and follow there. But they were very much all about the, the pomp and circumstance. And here Jesus was born in a manger. And it's just kind of like, I think it's important that we identify what are we following? Are we following a religion or are we following Christ? Yes. And, you know, you said something awesome right there, because sometimes what happens is when you do have a spiritual experience or maybe you hear about maybe somebody's listening to this right now and they're hearing about these spiritual experiences. There's another end of that, too. You know, you have the ultra religious people that they're just missing Jesus altogether. And then you have the other people that take it to the extreme the other way. And that's unhealthy also. Next thing you know, they think there's a demon under every flat tire yeah. or because the gas station got robbed. It was a demon. No, 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 yeah, no, no. That's true. You're, you're, you're off into air, brother. We have to come right back to the center. Balance. We have to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Spirit-filled. Mm-hmm. And if we do that and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, the sky's really the limit on on how much God can use us to help other people. You know, when when I said a minute ago that I didn't see that man get saved, and I don't know how his life ended up, if I didn't say this, if I didn't tell this story, if you if you could divide this into two episodes, I mean, this is just a really incredible story. This is one that affected my life tremendously. 
One of the things that I would do from time to time is if I saw a really bad drug addict in prison and I was in a cell and I didn't have a roommate at the time, I would bring them in. If the Lord spoke to me about it, I'd say, hey, why don't you come live with me for a few months? Now, here's the deal. You can't get high in the cell. And I would get them in there, get them out of the environment they were in where they were strung out on drugs. I'd read the Bible. Sometimes I'd read Christian books out loud when we were locked in there. And they'd look at me kind of strange, but I just wanted to get that word to them that they know because you could, I couldn't just tell them to just read the Bible. But if I said, man, you don't mind, do you, if I read a couple chapters here out loud, do you? It's something. And, you know, we're locked in there for that hour or two. Mm-hmm. They always would say, no, don't, you know, go do whatever you want to do. I had some roommates end up actually requesting it. Be like, man, you're going to read out loud today. And I'd say, you know, to adult <laughs> men. <laughs> yeah, they have to. They have to respect me, Dana, because I've got a giant gang tattoo on my chest. Before I got born again, I was a man's man in prison. You know what I mean? I was that guy. So I'm going to tell you what happened when COVID hit, I guess 2019 or so, I had an empty bed. The prison was consolidating, turning different units into isolation, quarantine units. I had an open bed and a gang member that I know who was in a gang that was friendly to the gang that I used to belong to. He needed a place to go. Hispanic guy. And I said, hey, you want to come up here and live with me? Go ahead. We're locked in. We're not getting out of the cell now. Because it's it's COVID, they only let us out for like 10 minutes a day to take a shower, and that's it. Mm. So he comes and lives with me. And he gets when he gets his property, his green duffel bag, he's got his clothes and his shoes and everything else you can have in prison. He pulls out a bowl, and in this bowl is an idol, a handmade idol made out of some rock and this other stuff. And it's got all these little things around it where he's been praying to this thing, and he dedicates little money to it and little candies and foods and stuff. And he says, well, you don't mind if I if I put this on top of my locker, you know, do you? And I said, no, I, I don't mind at all. I know God's up to something. I've experienced too much with God to not know <laughs> that he's up with, to something right now. Okay. So me and this guy start talking. He gets his photo album out. He shows me pictures of his mom. She works for the government. She's got a good government job. They've got a shrine in their house and they're involved in Santeria. They've got, you know, this is what they do. It's his culture. It's his whole family's culture. And, you know, Santeria, basically a form of Catholicism and demonology kind of mixed together. It's pretty big in Central South America and Mexico. So he's telling me that he can pray to this idol and it will do things throughout the unit to different individuals that he's not getting along with. And I said, brother, well, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that idol has no power whatsoever. But I do believe that you praying to it will bring the spirit that's attached to that idol on the scene. And maybe that will will do things for you. And so we would open the open the door a little bit to talk about that. And then I asked him, would it be OK if I read uh, some stuff out loud? You know what I mean? I just, you know, this is after a week or two. And he's like, no. So I start reading some of the richest, most spirit filled, amazing miracle stories that I can find. Um, you know, things about men that just walked in tremendous power and about the blood of Jesus and things like that. And the, whatever was in him. And I it was I would explain to him the whole time, if you ever decide, because he would ask me, do you think what I'm doing is involving the devil and demons? And I'd say, yes, it is. I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. It is, brother. And if you ever decide you need to get rid of those things. And I'd walk him through and I'd talk to him about the blood of Jesus. But those things that were in him couldn't stand it. So within about a month and a half, he had to get out of there with me. And he was just like, look, I, 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 you know, there's a cell open over here. I'm going to move. And, you know, OK, whatever. We left on good terms, but mm-hmm. he had to go. My next roommate comes in. He's an MS-13 from El Salvador. And we're standing in there one day. And like I said, they let 10 cells out for about 10, 15 minutes at a time. Well, that guy that had been in there with me, the guy with the idol, he comes to my door and says, hey, man, I'm about to get into it with this guy over here. We're about to get in a fight. I need you to hold this knife for me. And he throws a knife under my door. So I grabbed the knife. I said, well, if you're about ready to get into with a guy, you're probably going to need this knife. 
And he's like, no, 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 I think I'll be good with that. I just don't want the cops to catch me with it. You know, just put it in the hiding spot where only you and I know, because I had a little safe in my cell, not to hold a knife. It's where I kept my little prison money, because you need little stamps in prison to buy food and clothes. And that's your that's your exchange. That's your bartering system. But I feel it in my spirit. Something's not right. So immediately I start to dismember the knife, take the handle off of it. My roommate, the MS-13, said, man, you're okay, man. That guy's not uh, like that. You know, he's doing 19 years. They got a bunch of murders on their case. He's a killer. Blah blah. I said, no, something's wrong. As I'm doing that and I put it up, I get it in my locker. Instantly, the cops open the door. Four cops. They take me and my MS-13 roommate out, hands up take us downstairs, strip us down. As I'm walking out the cell, I look up on the rail and leaning over the rail is the guy that had the idol, the Latin King. He was a Latin King. He had the guy that had the idol that threw the knife under my door. And he's just giving me a terrible eye look. It's that look like, man, I got you. I just set you up. Now, here's a man that knows that I'm getting ready to get out of prison after 20 years. He knows that I have a brand new grandbaby that I sing songs to on the phone because, you know, he knew about my life because we had been roommates. We go downstairs strip us out. I don't have the knife on me, but it's sitting up there in my locker. They take all the cops, they go in there and they tear that room apart and it's right there in front of them and they can't see it. God has blinded their eyes. If they find that knife, they're going to give me an extra year in prison. I'm not getting out. So when they put us back in the, put us back in our cell, when it's our turn to come out, those other guys are locked up. So I went to that guy's cell and I said, man, you know what you just did right there, man? You could have cost me my freedom. I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get out of here. Now, you're going to get out of here right now. You're going to tell the cops you cannot be in this prison anymore, and you're going to check in, and you're going to get out of here. Now, he's not allowed to do this as a gang member. He has got to fight me or something, but he it scares him. He sees that look, and I don't know what God was up to at that moment, but it scared him. He told the cops, get him out of there, and they took him and put him, put him in solitary confinement until they could transfer him. Okay, watch what happens. About nine months later, ten months later, I'm getting closer to release. When I call home, I talk to my daughter's mother, who is just a friend of mine. We weren't, we haven't been together or anything. My daughter, my children are adults because I've been in prison so long. Mm-hmm. And as I'm talking to her, she said, I have a letter that just arrived for you. She said, it's sent to my house, but it's in our daughter's name. But she, my daughter's grown. She doesn't live there. And I said, well, who is it from? And she told me the guy's name. I said, oh no, it's that dude. And he's got transferred to another federal prison in New York. It's got a New York address. It's got, he's went into my locker at some point when I wasn't in the cell, when we were roommates. He's got in my address book. He's got the information for my family, but he confused the name and the address. So I said, well, I want you to open the letter up and I'd like you to read it to me. Now, Dana, I know what's in this letter because I've been around a lot of cowards in my life. And cowards only really get puffed up when they have advantage or when they know you can't get to them. Okay, that's why God can do something with a man that's got courage. That's why I love Joshua and Caleb so much. He can't do anything with a coward, whether it's a man or a woman. But even if it's the weakest looking woman you ever seen that's 85 years old, if she's got courage. God can use her. And I've dealt with a lot of cowards. And I said, man, this guy's in this letter. He's going to say, I know where your family lives. When I get out of prison, I'll do this. And I, I know what's going to be in here. I, I believe I know. She opens that letter and starts to read it to me. And I'm going to tell you what it said. Because I told her to hold on to it, and she did until I got released. She held on to that letter, and here's what it said. It said, Stephen, everything that you ever told me about Jesus and about the blood of Jesus was true. Every word of it. Months after all that happened, I wanted to get rid of those things. 
those things that were in me. And I prayed against them and I pled the blood of Jesus against them. And I prayed the way that you always taught me in that cell. He said, and they came out of my body and I puked and I had black swamp stuff coming out of my bowels. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, I've been born again almost a year. He said, I am in a prison, Raybrook, New York right now, and I am on fire for Jesus. And anytime we could ever get in touch with each other, he said, check out these scriptures right here. You, I want you to know, man, you saved my life. This is what the letter said. And I told Barbie, I said, that's, I said, Barbie, save that letter until I get out of prison, please. She said, I'll save it. I mean, tell me what God can't do. God can do anything. <laughs> and we don't know. We don't see when we're taught, when he leads us in somebody's path like that. I wasn't the closer. I wasn't mm-hmm. the man that was going to lead him to mm-hmm. Christ. But I was the one in that instance that God used to give him the information. And, and maybe somebody else put some water on it and something happened and something triggered in his mind and he wanted to get free and he had the information to do it. And it changed the course of his life. That is awesome. Stephen, I want to make two comments. Yes, ma'am. And then I want to make sure that we get my listeners access to you. They want to get more of you. They want to know more about you. They want to be connected with you, whatever the case may be. I want to make sure we get them funneled in the right direction. First comment I want to make is, although I hate that you had the childhood that you did, it sounds horrific. I feel like from the stories that you're telling, if you hadn't have gone through all of that, you wouldn't have had the street cred. You wouldn't have had you wouldn't have been a kind of person that could have gone into prison and done what you did. That's correct. You would not, it would not have worked. This Never. was the only, only way that would work. And all the people that have been saved, all the prisoners that nobody cared anything about the ones that, you know, they're, they're in there, they're living decades of their life in prison and you were there and they wouldn't have cared about you. They wouldn't have listened to you. They wouldn't have been intimidated by you. None of that. If you hadn't have gone through everything that you had gone through in your life up to that point. That's so correct. I feel like sometimes we go through awful things, but God has a plan. There's a scripture. I think it's in Psalm that says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oof. Hmm. So all the days of your life, All the days, your childhood all the way up were ordained for you before even before you were born. And all of it set up for you to do exactly what you did. And I want to say that because and I want listeners to hear that, because if you're if you're personally going through something or, you know, somebody that's gone through something and you think, where's God? He doesn't care. Look at all that I'm going through. Look, look at all that I'm having to to endure and look at this horrible situation. God doesn't care. He's not around. Yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Okay. And the second thing I wanted to point out was you talked about not being the closer. I think a lot of times when we hear God's voice and we act on it and we don't actually see what happens in the end, we get confused and think, well, I was mistaken. It didn't have, because really, unless you'd gotten that letter from that guy, you would have no way of knowing the impact, but you still followed what God wanted you to do, what you were being led to do. You still did it anyway. And thank goodness that you did, because see what happened. But see, sometimes, you know, those of us and, and, and myself and my and listeners as well, maybe you all feel that God is, is, you know, driving you to do something, to say something to someone or, or have some kind of interaction. And you don't see 
the fruits of that, that doesn't mean that fruit won't be delivered. It just means that maybe you aren't the closer. Maybe someone else is the closer, but they can only close because of what you planted. And so I think that's really important. So Stephen, this has been awesome and amazing. I've so enjoyed my time with you. So how can my listeners get more of you? Where do they go? Sure. If, if people wanted to maybe get behind what I'm trying to do now in my life, you know, God gave me a dream in 2020. He showed me some scriptures on the wall that were rotating on their own. Uh, when I got out, I kept it to myself for two years. When I got out, just lost in the world, never seen a cell phone, never, you know, just he just led me the whole way. So here we are a year later. I have a company. It's called Jesus Speaks LLC. The LLC stands for Life, Liberty, and Christianity. And I make digital scripture frames, right? You know, I load the content with just the most inspirational and faith-filled scriptures that that held me together through those years. And it just rotates a new inspirational scripture as often as you like. I have a website. It's JesusSpeaksLLC.com. So there'll be more information there. And just yesterday, I got everything finalized and all the paperwork finalized for my nonprofit, which is called Extraordinary Solitude. And I will be making a website for that. But right now, I just have an email address. It's ExtraordinarySolitude at gmail.com. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the book that I told you that I wrote with a three-inch pen with scrap paper while I was in solitary confinement. I'm going to get that edited. I just have to find the right editor that, you know, can help me and get the flow together. And then I have a couple influential people that are from this community that have agreed to be board members on that nonprofit. And they are going to help me once I'm able to get the book edited and get get the publisher. They're going to help me get many, many, many copies of that book. And we are going to get them into jails and we're going to get them into prisons and we're going to get them into drug rehab centers. We're going to get them into the hands of anybody that's spiritually hungry. And it's not just going to tell my life story or the things that happened also in prison. And it, there, in that memoir that I wrote, I also wrote, how did I get free? You know what I mean? How did, how did that happen? How did I get free? It wasn't like I got born again and a switch turned on and everything was just a bed of roses. Life is not like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I explain all that in the book. So um, I believe it's going to be a very powerful ministry tool. So yeah, they can go to my website to see what I'm up to. Maybe sign up for my email list. If they wanted to help me with, you know, support me with what I'm doing right now, they could buy a scripture frame. They're really nice. If, if they just wanted to find out what was going on with extraordinary solitude, if they wanted to get the book, they could email me at extraordinary solitude at gmail.com. And, and that would be awesome. You know, I'm open for stuff like that. I've got two speaking engagements right now at, at a couple different churches. One of them's in Missouri. They asked me to come speak at their men's conference, which is a really big one. And I'm going to go do that at the end of March. So if anybody wants, um, you know, to hear some of this or they think it could help somebody or maybe it could help a men's group in their church or whatever the case may be, reach out to me. I, I love to do that. This is my passion. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I'm supposed to be a better salesman of the scripture frames. And I know God gave me that and I love it. But my passion is evangelism. And I believe he's going to take me into that, you know, because I'm I'm seeing it now. Dana, I'm seeing it now. The men out here, they just they love it. The men's group that I go to, they, they have like a rotating preaching system. They literally want me to preach every weekend. 
You know what I mean? And I love it. I know God's put that in me to do that. I want to help people with, with everything that's in me. I do. And, and, and it can be women as well. You know what I mean? It's just, if you've been abused in your life, I know that our stories can jam together. That is awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to be so vulnerable and sharing with us your wisdom and what you've learned over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank your audience. I I appreciate them. If they stayed with us through this, man, thank y'all. I pray that y'all be blessed. Well, I really feel like I'm going to divide this until I make it two separate podcasts so we can really just sink in and just enjoy that. So listeners, I know you've heard something today and what Stephen has had to say that has really touched you. And you know what? As I always say, you probably have a friend or a coworker or a family member that you think, oh my gosh, this particular person really, really needs to hear what Stephen has to say. If that's the case, then you can copy and paste the link of the episode and and send it through text, then send it through email, put it up on, on your favorite social media platforms, get the message out, let's grow our Phoenix Inflamed community and really just get the word out that you're not alone. There's a way to push through and transform, even though you might feel like a pile of ash. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.